Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hey guys, this is Fei Wu and you're listening to the Face World Podcast. Have you heard of that advice when someone tells you that the best way to find your path to success is to find someone else who's already on that path and learn as much as you can from that person? That's exactly why I invited the guest today. Her name is Joanna Penn to Face World. I feel like I'm speaking to like a better version of myself. This is without talking down on me but to lift me up and visualize so many more opportunities for me and for Face World. As a full-time writer and entrepreneur, Joanna has written 30 books. Yes, three zero. Many of them have gone beyond the paper version, but also as eBooks, audiobooks, and even in different languages. Soon you will learn from her that this is called a scalable income, where Joanna has multiple sources of incomes from her books alone. In addition, She runs several very successful affiliate programs that attribute to her multi-six-figure income as a writer. But none of this success came overnight. Sorry, listeners. Joanna has been podcasting for over 10 years. She just celebrated her 10th anniversary and launched a new show called Books and Travel. I'm totally binge listening to that whole series right now. And I love how she sets things up and speak from her heart. And it's really easy to follow and very heartwarming. You may be wondering for a few seconds now, as I was speaking, that she published and launched 30 books. Joanna is a pro at this point, but she helps me and you understand the best way to plan for your writing routine and quickly launch your first book of high quality. She also explains a helpful approach to launch your first book and how not to get too emotionally attached to it. Remember, after your first book, there may be many more you want to write. And for me, that's super liberating to hear. After hanging up the call with Joanna, I felt extremely motivated. While waiting for my next appointment, I rolled down more than a dozen software websites I love using as a freelancer and for face world services. Why not share them with the world and create helpful tutorials for freelancers just like me? Hold me to it. There's so many gems in this episode. I start taking notes while the recording was still on because I just couldn't help it. Joanna does not waste a second of your time and goes deep into her creative journey and how she consistently delivers content on her website, which now has over 800,000 visitors per month. That amount of traffic to high-quality content plus affiliate program that's ready to scale, Joanna is living a life that many people see as too good to be true, but it is achievable if you put yourself to do the work. Joanna says, it's not about being in a flow state or feeling most optimal when you do your work. You just have to show up and keep showing up for it. 
It was late for Joanna during our recording around 7 p.m., and I woke up that day with a sore throat, but we did it anyway. So much of our work, in fact, is delivered under circumstances that's way less than ideal, but this is one of the best conversations I've ever had. Whether you're a writer, a freelancer, or someone who's curious about what an independent creator's life is like and how you could potentially reach your own, this is the conversation you absolutely cannot miss out on. Both Joanna and I are heading to Podcast Movement in Orlando, Florida this year in August and get to meet each other in person for the first time. I can't wait for that to happen and to share my experience from Podcast Movement with you guys. This is our first event after running the show for nearly five years. Without further ado, please welcome the one and only Joanna Penn to the Face World Podcast. Joanna, welcome uh, to the show. I am super thrilled that you're here. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Faye. It's great to be on the show. <laughs> I love your voice. I've been listening to your show. And I remember asking you if you've been a, a show host or work uh, at a radio station before and you said no. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I've been doing podcasting now for 10 years. And it's kind of crazy because you remember in the early days when you were just so, well, I was certainly very hesitant and didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, 10 years on, I've got quite a lot of practice now. So uh, I, I think you just get more confident over time and, and with practice. I can't agree with that more because I, I, it still hurts a little bit when I go back to listen to the first few episodes. But then I realize there's that progression. Like you have to be there. You must have done that before you get to where you are right now, right? Oh, yeah. And I think, I mean, this has to be one of the number one tips for being an entrepreneur in, in whatever niche is you have to get started before you know what you're doing. Because mm -hmm. if you wait until you know everything about a situation, you, you're just going to be way too late. <laughs> so yeah. I would say, like, as soon as you get, like, I just decided, right. Uh, and I started podcasting 2009 before it was called podcasting. I mean, it really, it was downloadable audio at the time. And oh. I just used a speakerphone, if people remember that, like a proper phone that was plugged mm -hmm. into the wall on speaker and I held a uh, recorder next to the phone and recorded the interview that way. So <laughs> the sound quality was terrible, but I got started and obviously the technology has changed so much, but, um, and the industry has, has changed so much and the same with publishing, um, you know, w which is my main business, but yeah, just get started where you are and learn along the way. What are your thoughts in terms of the trends that you have seen over the course of 10 years? You know, I agree with you because even for someone like myself, who's been doing this for nearly five years, I am seen to be, I mean, not a dinosaur, but someone who's quite <laughs> <laughs> experienced in the industry. Like what have you seen and heard? Well, um, it's really interesting. I mean, the first big one is obviously monetization. What is so surprising to me now is people will email me and say, oh, I want to start a podcast and I want to make money on day one. How do I do that? And it just, it's the same as someone saying, oh, I want to leave my job and become a writer tomorrow. Or, you know, like you've done this um, documentary. I want to leave my job and make money with a documentary next week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and the, the amount of work that goes into a lot of these things, the amount of work that it takes to build up an audience over time. Um, so to me, the, the big focus on monetization is important because as you know, we both know, many of the listeners will know how much work it is to do a podcast. And But I still believe that it is not, it should not be your primary 
reason to do a podcast because I don't believe the money will be worth it for a good amount of time for most people. Uh, even in a big niche, um, you know, you still have to attract an audience and there are more and more podcasts. So I think probably the, the big thing is, yes, you can absolutely monetize uh, a podcast, a blog, you know, whatever you want to turn into a business, uh, but it's going to take some time. So it's much better to start with something you're passionate about that you can be consistent with for years and that you enjoy for its own sake. So for example, I, this year on my 10th anniversary, I started a second podcast, <laughs> which is of course. Just <laughs> books and travel. And I'm just loving it because I get to talk to people about where they're traveling to and what places inspire their books. And I'm just loving that. And at the moment, I, I have written a business plan for it, but I, it's got probably a two-year to three-year business plan in terms of making any money over and above selling my own books and products. Um, but that, So that would be one trend is this sort of real focus on monetization. Uh, and then I think probably the other trend is to really interestingly is the seasonal, um, a seasonal thing or a self-contained podcast. I mean, it used to be that all podcasts were more like blogs, which is they went on and on and on and on, uh, which mine has, you know, um, and yours has as well. But um, yes. other people now are creating these self-contained, maybe 10 episodes on a topic. Um, you know, the type of thing that we used to create mini websites around, people are now doing that with podcasts. And I love this. This is something I want to do is kind of create self-contained podcasts on a project because mm. I don't know about your behavior, but I now, if I want to learn about something, I will go on my um, podcast app when I use Apple and I will just keyword search for a topic or a person that I like. Uh, like we've talked about Kai-Fu Lee, mm -hmm. uh, Chinese AI researcher. Um, and I put his name in and then I just listen to the things that come up around his name. Mm -hmm. And so in this way, the behavior around podcasting is changing and the behavior around listening. So it is just such an interesting time. Oh, I, I'm just so excited as you are. And speaking of which, we before we started the show, we talked about us going to podcast movement together. And I very much look forward to, like you said, not just what we're doing, but sort of what the what is everybody else doing? Like the world of podcasters are doing from all over the place. And it's it's so exciting. Every time I talk to a creator like yourself, I'm like taking notes furiously. It's just there's so much goodness to absorb. And I'm literally having these conversations like I'm a little girl in the candy shop. I just <laughs> have enough of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because I, uh, you know, I'm a, a writer first, but in the, over the last 10 years, I've been to lots of writing conferences. I've never been to a podcast conference. So what's also interesting is I still use a lot of the same technology that I used 10 years ago. So I do use um, Amazon S3 for hosting, for example. I, I still use a similar mic, you know, Blue Yeti. I, I still use the same plugins. Um, so I'm really interested to see, well, how can I take my own podcast to another level? And that's probably another tip for people is getting outside your niche. And like podcasting is great because there will be people there in every niche that have nothing to do with writing or podcasting or artists um, or create creative people. And I'm just super excited to learn from them as well. And so getting out of your niche is sometimes a really good idea. 
Oh, I, I, I love that message because you brought up in, uh, in, in one of, I think in one of the previous questions, when you said, um, even though, you know, the world, I mean, every time you look, you look on Google these days, like you said, monetization in order to do that, the only way to do that is to find your niche. And I think that's what's holding a lot of people back because, once you work that full-time job, you got a family of three kids and, you know, your partner to take care of. And all of a sudden you're like, what, what is my niche? And you sometimes look to exclusively what you have done in your career. And often for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's not really what they've been loving or enjoying. And, you know, so how, you know, you as an expert in doing so, and, and have you stumbled upon you, uh, you know, in the, in the realm of writing very early on, or how would you encourage other people to kind of find their path, their niche before getting started? Yeah, well, that before getting started is the difficult thing because what I would say is it's a bit like skiing downhill. And uh, if you're a skier like me, you do not point your skis downhill and go in a straight line. <laughs> I mean, right. most people, that's not how you ski. You have to zigzag um, mm. and you have to get moving before you can change direction. So mm. what I would say is just relax, people. I mean, if you haven't started, you almost have to start before you find your niche. So for mm. example, uh, I my first book was around career change. And I, my first website was around career change. It was aimed at corporate people looking to change their job, which was my situation, which is what we often do, right? We write the book we need to read ourselves. We start the podcast we need ourselves. And so I, that was my first website. And then my second website um, was, and my second blog was around uh, learning about money because, you know, I, I come from a more working class background, didn't have any financial education. And then I discovered rich dad, poor dad. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And this, this is sort of 2007. Um, and I was like, right, I'm going to blog about this. And I rapidly discovered that these, neither of these niches were things I wanted to write about. Um, sure. I changed my career. Sure. I'm interested in money, but I do not want to be in those niches. So, mm. but in the process of writing my first book around career change, I, really discovered that I loved writing, but also I loved publishing. And then I wanted to talk about my book marketing experiences. So my third website was the creativepen.com, which mm. is now, you know, has been the backbone of my business for 10 years. So that's really important. And then what I would say to people is with, with my fiction side, where I write thrillers under JF Pen, And for years, I have tried to work out my niche for fiction because fiction is, <laughs> I write all over the shop. But what I I, this it was this year, so it's taken me eight years to work out that I wanted to do something around books and travel because travel is the thing that underpins all my fiction, its sense of place. So I just want to encourage people around niche. You will not get it right first time. I really believe that. I think anyone who gets it right first time is just locking in. I mean, yeah. even before that, I had a scuba diving company. I did a property um, investment in Australia. I have tried all kinds of things over time, plus my day job. You know, I used to implement financial services, so financial service um, software into companies. So it's like you have to try things and see if it's sustainable. If you can't, like podcasts, I say to people, um, you know, thanks for inviting me on your show, but I probably won't be on your show unless you have at least 30 episodes. Because mm -hmm. I think if you have 30 episodes of a podcast, Mm -hmm. then you're going to stick it out. <laughs> I'm sure you probably agree, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't believe, I feel like I have to pinch myself to realize 
200 episodes. And I must say there were times that I'm recording intros. I usually do intros separately, you know, at like two, three in the morning when I had a full-time job. And I was close to like crying about it. It's like, why am I doing this? Am I really, you know, what's the future of this? But then in retrospect, I realized that I was on a path I wasn't aware of. And I I feel like just by hearing you saying that you're not going to find your niche uh, when you start out. It's like, you're my long lost sister or the sister I never had because (laughs) it is so touching for for me to hear, you know, like I feel like the reason why your writing really resonates with me all over on the creative pen, uh, you know, P-E-N-N.com. It's so resonating. And I'm sure it has resonated already with so many other people clearly is because you speak the truth. My personal struggle to be very transparent, I think a lot of my listeners know um, that as well, is I didn't really know what my niche was. And I thought it was just me at the very beginning because I was interested in talking to so many different people, um, you know, people from Cirque du Soleil, at National Circus School, but as well as doctors, you know, cancer doctors, palliative care doctors. And I was like, while I was having fun, Joanna, I was, Joanna, I was thinking like, oh man, what is wrong with me? Why can I find my niche? And then like, I feel like after talking to you, even more recently, I realized what it was, which is, you know, just really interesting people who are adding so much value, who's teaching me so much about life um, over this course. And it, it just, something that money can buy. And it's an unbelievable journey and that, mm. uh, you know, they put me on. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, having a look at your, you know, obviously I, I came to you and I, I wanted to talk about China and, and things like that. And I, I feel like um, a lot of what you do, you, you're talking to interesting people, but I think what you said about it being about you, like, is it just me? That is really important. And I actually think this is something that a lot of people, I mean, yes, there are these amazingly high production shows uh, run by big corporates, right? Which are in- incredible, but they're not personal. They're, they're a business brand, whereas your brand and my brand, you know, this is us. And yeah. you're asking the questions that you are interested in. And I think that the the interest in creativity, in culture, uh, you know, pervades your work as it pervades mine. And that's really important for people listening. And something I only really discovered a few years in, I used to only do interviews that I thought would be useful. And I didn't ever talk about myself. And it was probably year four when someone emailed me and said, Hey, just, just wondering, we'd love to know more about you. Yes. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that's when I started doing an introduction. And, and now people will email me and say, I, I only listen to the introduction every week. And then occasionally I'll listen to the interview because I come back to hear what's going on in your life. So this Mm -hmm. is another thing to encourage you to encourage people listening Mm -hmm. is people connect with people and they have a relationship with you, the host, more than they have a relationship with the guest. So right now, people listening, they know you much better than they know me. And they get to know me a little bit if they hang around and listen to us have a chat, right? But they know you. Like I just listened to you, uh, your episode when you came back from China with your mum and her art exhibition. And I know so much more about you now than I did, you know, even like half an hour ago. I was just like, oh, that looks interesting. I was just listening in. And and this is the thing, if we share what a part of our life, then you're inviting people in. And I think that the way to build 
um, an authentic business that you love is to be true to yourself. And of course you can change over time. What's great about phase world and about the creative pen is we can put whatever we want into those buckets. So as you change, you can change your show. As I change, I change my show as well. And Hey, I've got episodes on writing about death and dying, you know, in the same way that you've had palliative care people. And we can do all of those things under a bigger brand. So that would be another tip for people. Be very careful about niching down so much that you hem yourself in. So for example, I have friends who started shows with the words self-publishing in the title. Mm -hmm. Now, self-publishing as a phrase was, you know, was a kind of nasty word about 10 years ago and then became quite trendy about five years ago. And now to me, self-publishing is publishing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's all just publishing. So things change and words change. So just be careful to um, create a big enough bucket for your brand Mm -hmm. that you can uh, change over time. Oh, you can't really see me right now, but I am literally bouncing on my chair, trying not to make too much noise. (laughs) Because I mean, you know, once you're in the space so much and so much of what you see on Google, at least the first couple of pages are people saying like almost the opposite of what we're talking about. And we know that that doesn't work. You know, it frustrates me that so many people come to me and say, I don't know what my passion is. I don't know. And I, I can't, you know, I have a family. I can't be, I, I must be responsible for all of them. But what, what I'm hearing right now is like, we have a responsibility to ourselves and we need to find a way to step into ourselves uh, instead of looking outside. And, and, and there's so much joy, uh, even though people can't see you right now, but there's so much joy in your voice. And I noticed that listening, just by listening to your show from intro all the way through, that you're having so much fun doing this. And that's what I love. Oh, well, that's, that's another good tip is, you know, and what I mentioned, you, you can't just do this for the money. You have to do this for loving the topic. I mean, like the creative pen, um, we're recording mid-year, like we're almost August, 2019. And I'm already scheduled out seven months of content on my site. And it's been like that for years because I have so much I want to share Mm -hmm. and so many people I want to talk to about so many interesting things that it just, it just keeps (laughs) on going. And it's so funny. Um, because yeah, I do love what I do and it, but it is hard. So if you're working a day job, um, you know, people listening, I did that for five years, did the side hustle thing. Well, in fact, much longer than that. So I pretty much, like I said, I tried a scuba diving company. I tried all these different things in my um, late twenties, early thirties. I kept leaving my job, starting something else, going back to my job. uh, And that, kind of happened over and over again. So I I failed in inverted commas a lot to find the thing I wanted to do. And actually it was probably the timing worked very well or the timing was because of the technology. But 2007 is when the iPhone arrived, um, the Kindle arrived. So Mm -hmm. things really changed. I mean, social media, Twitter, um, Facebook, Web 2.0, as it was known back then, (laughs) not really anymore. (laughs) But I think this is the thing. I mean, if you're working Working that day job, um, I only left my job in 2011. So I did my first five years of the creative pen business while working a consulting job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would get up at 5 a.m. I would write before work, and so many of my journals are books I read. Um, you know, I went to a lot of conferences. I I just I listened to a lot of audio books. Listened to a lot of Tony Robbins, great American <laughs> <Yeah>. self help. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, I, I listened to, as I said, back then they weren't known as podcasts, but I downloaded a lot of audio. Um, I found a role model uh, as well, a guy called Yarrow Starak, um, who was an Australian, is <laughs> an Australian um, slash Canadian blogger. And when I found him, I really saw what was possible. So this would be another tip for people. Find role models who are making a living in the way that you want to. And it, that's not just about like the products they have. Um, it's about the lifestyle they live. And what I loved about Yarrow is um, his mum was dying at the time and he was able to be by her side mm-hmm. and still make a living. And I thought that is what I want wow. to be able to do. It's I want to be able to be with my family uh, it, when, when I, you know, and, and not have to miss out on things because I have to be at my day job. So that would be another tip. Yeah. Find someone who's making money and has a life that you would like to live and then see how they did it. Hey, it's Faye. I'm back here. Today on the show, we chat with the incredible Joanna Penn, who started her podcast before it was called a podcast, but audio downloads. Today, she runs a multi-six-figure business without the need for much consulting or hustle on the side to get it done. And she's living a life with location and financial freedom. Can't wait to hear your feedback. And now, back to the show. Oh, wow. That message resonates so well with me. Um, I agree. I just had this very conversation with a colleague of mine about not chasing after, I mean, he's still working full-time with a family, but not chasing after a certain dollar amount, not chasing after a title. You want to be CEO, CFO, but the lifestyle that you want. And I remember exactly like you said, but my sort of a quote-unquote role model was watching a young woman uh, about the age of 30, walking to a yoga studio at 9.30 in the morning. And it just, it it broke me and it built me up once again, because that at the time was my favorite thing to do. And there's no way, you know, no chance for me to do it. So for me to hear that story from Yaris, uh, it's incredible. And by the way, how do you spell his last name? So I know that. Uh, Starak, but if you uh, just Google Yarrow, Y-A-R-O, he's, he pretty much is the only one who comes up. <laughs> well, he's like the Seth of Google. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's the Yarrow of Google. But um, it's funny because I... I feel, I totally agree with you on the yoga. And in fact, I go to yoga in, in the sort of mid-morning slot as well. On a Monday morning, 9.30, I go to yoga. So it's similar. But it's it's so interesting, isn't it? Like recently, I just um, I just had laser eye surgery, which was, uh, so, you know, it was a, a big life adjustment um, that I needed to have done uh, for various reasons. But it's meant I had only, they said, oh yeah, you can technically go back to work after, you know, a certain number of days. But I have had, I'm having a very different time, different experience to what I expected. And so I feel very grateful again that, um, and it's, you know, it's not like a health issue, but it's recovery from, from something. And I'm having a lot more time away from my computer than, than I am used to. So Mm. it's really fascinating to be able to do that. Um, and also I love traveling. I know, you know, you've just, you know, you travel a lot too, Mm. and, um, being able to make money whilst you're doing other things. And I mean, I I think we're going to talk about the idea of scalable, um, the fact that it's not about your time. These Mm. are uh, sort of principles that can free you from the day job mentality, but I know it's a big shift for people. 
Let's talk about that for sure. I, right before, you know, I run back home for this recording, I was at Wegmans, which is a grocery store is right here. And I was waiting in line. I felt so anxious, like people get out of the way. I need to learn more about scalable business. So I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we're on to this topic now. So please lead us into it. Like what is scalable business? And by the way, what's the difference between scalable business versus like scalable income versus passive income? Yeah. Okay. So, well, one, I don't believe there is any passive income. (laughs) I mean, you really have to manage money in general, but the difference between time-based and scalable income. So basically time-based income is what most people have around their day job. So you, um, you know, you work a certain number of hours and you get paid a certain amount and there's a cap on that amount. Even if you're, um, you know, pretty high up in a company, there's still usually a cap on the amount of money you will be paid for your time. So, um, and another version, I think, and I know you've, you know, Seth Godin, he's been on your show. He talks about freelancers, same thing, freelance work or, or being a professional speaker or anyone who sells their time for money. You could, you only do that once. You can only sell that time once. Whereas scalable income, and again, I I learned this from Yarrow back in the day and the moment the penny dropped for me, it made all the difference. So think about a book. So I've got about 30 books now. I've been writing a lot of books (laughs) over the the last few years. Yeah. And, but each book, so I spend a certain amount of time writing a book and then I can sell that book as many times as I like. Mm-hmm. Um, I can license that book in other languages. So I've got a book in uh, South Korean, for example, that I licensed to a publisher in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, um, at the moment, I'm just getting some books translated into German. So that's another language. I can do them uh, tomorrow. In fact, as we talk, I've got another novel coming out and it's coming out in <sighs> ebook format, a paperback, a hardback, large print, and also will be coming out in audiobook. So that's five different formats. And then if you multiply that by the number of countries, so I have actually sold books in 86 countries around the world. So if you, if you think even just about the 30 books multiplied by formats, multiplied by languages, multiplied by countries, it's just a crazy amount of scalable income. And then you think about something like affiliate income, which is commission on selling other people's products or promoting other people's products. So for example, um, I use Vellum software to, um, uh, do my books to, to create my eBooks with it's fantastic software. So I have a tutorial about that on my website and it's a free tutorial. It's on YouTube. Um, so you can go and you can learn how to use the software. And of course, if you use my link, I will get some commission. So that again is scalable. It took me what an hour and a half to make a video. And then that goes on the website and that keeps on giving me money every month. And it's authentic because I use the tool. Uh, It's useful to my audience. It fits with what they need. They need to make books and it gives me scalable income. So this is what I want people to think Um, right now. Okay. My challenge right now to you, think about how much of your income is time-based and how much is scalable. And what would you like it to be? So back in, you know, 2011, when I left my job, most of my income was Mm time-based. And then my goal was to make it 90% scalable. And right now it's, it is about 95% 
scalable. Um, like I don't do consulting. I do very little speaking. I don't do freelance writing. Um, so everything I do is about building assets mm-hmm. that create income for me for the long term. And, uh, you know, that's basically how I create my businesses. Everything is working towards creating more assets. And, you know, for that, I can credit uh, Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad back in the day. <laughs> yes, that's a great book. And that it's really groundbreaking at the time and still a lot of it's applicable to what we can learn even today. I think that's, mm. it, that's the value of a lot of your writing. I notice on your website and I find myself to be kind of in a spiral just keeps, uh, it, it keeps on, giving and within there are a lot of internal links it's like yes I don't know that oh what does that mean let me keep clicking into like deep linking into all these areas and and it's so well organized and like we talked about that takes time and practice um I also want to let the listeners know which I will also include uh as part of the show notes and resources on phaseworld.com that you dare just like Pat Flynn actually I realized that you actually publish your income and you there are detailed articles on how you break them down like scalable 95% scalable but from what and then you break down all the categories yeah well I don't quite do it like Pat um you know first of all his his income is huge compared to mine I mean I I do make multi six figures so I make a very good income but I think he makes multi seven figures at this point um and I I actually um I do I'm very English I kind of give people hints so they can calculate the amounts but I don't actually put a dollar amount um, right right I'm, yeah, I'm good well, at math I'm Chinese so it was very yeah, obvious exactly. to me and you can totally work it out. But it's funny because I um, I break down the book sales. So because most of my audience are authors. And so it's interesting to people um, how things break down in terms of book sales. And I've put them, everything's on the creativepen.com forward slash timeline, if people are interested, which goes from like the very beginnings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, very interestingly for you and your audience, I hope, is that in the last year, it used to be that the US was my biggest biggest, um, you know, book sales. I think it was, it was over something like 65% of my income from books was in the U S and this year it has shifted uh, quite dramatically, um, into the sort of thirties percent, which is, uh, which means that, um, digital sales are taking off in other countries much more than they were particularly Germany, which is why I'm moving into self-publishing in, in German. Um, so this is very interesting. So I think part I do this annual breakdown because I don't, I'm one of those people who doesn't look at their book sales every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I look at the money, but I don't look at uh, all the metrics. Um, you know, I just get on with creating stuff because that's what I enjoy. But once a year, I look at all these metrics and you can really learn a lot from those. So um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting thing. But um, yeah, I would say that affiliate income for me is... Um, bigger than book sales now because the website has multi millions of words on. Uh, And this is another tip, actually, if people are doing a podcast, uh, do transcripts because you've got SEO um, content that will bring in search engine traffic. I mean, we're, I think we're almost at a tipping point where they're going to start indexing audio, but at the moment, more people will find you through search. Um, so doing a transcript is really good. And I now use trint.com, T-R-I-N-T.com, which is AI transcription and it's, it's very good. So yeah, that, 
that makes a huge difference to me. I mean, I've got what, 430 episodes or something, all of which have, um, not all of them, probably the last nine years have transcripts on. So there's a little tip too. Oh, that's an incredible tip I'm going to share with my mastermind group immediately. And the the trint.com AI, by the way, um, is there, um, how much does it cost if you recall the details and, uh, you know, do you just publish straight up or do you hire like a virtual assistant to kind of help you clean it up? Well, it's, um, it's actually, uh, it's, it's much cheaper than a human. Um, I can't remember the exact rates, but it's very, very good. Um, I've been using human transcribers for, for years um, and this is excellent. But I then do have my virtual assistant cleans it up and also puts it on the podcast. I mean, obviously different voices, um, spellings of things, uh, you know, there are things that you need some someone to clean up, but it's, it is very, very good. And also, it's by a group of journalists who use it for all the interviews that they do. And so the there is a, a workflow for podcasters tutorial within Trent.com. Um, so you can see how to use it. It's a very, very good tool. I mean, this is the exciting world we're in, right? This sort of yeah. emergence of, of tools where, um, yeah, it just keeps getting cheaper and easier to do this stuff. Absolutely. I'm on their website right now. I couldn't help it. So it's (laughs) pay as you go is $15 an hour. And then it gets cheaper when you have a basic subscription, like $40 a month for three hours or $120 a month for 10 hours. Um, Wow. Yeah. And that cuts to compare to around a dollar a minute. So say $60 for an hour, or you can get it like $45 for an hour, but you know, it's a lot cheaper basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to compare this with the service I like very much is sonics.io. Sorry, sonics.ai. And that one is really kind of interesting too. So this is awesome. And okay, so you actually just answered one of my questions in terms of proportionally, you know, where do you see as the bigger bucket of scalable income? It sounds like affiliate program. And some people are thinking, wow, you know, Joanna's making it sound so easy. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I use all, I use FreshBooks. I use, I can name maybe a dozen software I love and use regularly. And, and I haven't recorded any video. It's shame, you know, so I, I feel. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I tell you what, I think that tutorials, but tutorials are great because you use these tools and, and a lot of, there are a lot of scammy, sucky affiliate things oh, going so on. True out there. So I almost don't like using the term affiliate marketing, but as long as you're, it's absolutely brilliant. If you are doing it in a way that is authentic, you are sharing tools that you use mm-hmm. and you are giving your audience what they need. They need help. So mm-hmm. for example, I have a, another tutorial on how to build your own author website mm-hmm. and that tutorial, you know, gets used every single day and then how to set up your email list. And, oh. um, you know, all of these things are things that people need. <laughs> and I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to set up your email list or your website for you, mm-hmm. but I can help you with a video or, you know, there's, so I think when you're considering affiliate income, really think about what are the things that I use. Um, most of these companies now have affiliate 
programs that you can join. What mm-hmm. I would say is on this bucket of, you know, it is a good income stream, but, and the big but is you need traffic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, my website's 10 years old. It gets, you know, 800,000 uniques a month. So that's how I can make good money with uh, affiliate. But what I would say also is um, fiction books Mm-hmm. and nonfiction to a point. Um, fiction is very evergreen, <laughs> which <laughs> makes it amazing. So to me, the economics of a novel, mm-hmm. that it's not going to make as much as my affiliate income this month, but over my lifetime, and I'm 45 and copyright lasts 70 years after the death of the author. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the lifetime value of a novel, to me, that's actually going to be much bigger than my affiliate video on Vellum. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you need both. So I see um, scalable income can be income for now, but it can also be building these as- longer term assets for the future. So I'm you know, writing more and more evergreen books that I know I can continue to sell into the future, even if things change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, those are some tips. So it's always thinking, well, what can I do right now? And maybe right now you just have to do your day job. But Mm -hmm. what you can also think is, okay, so where do I want to be in five years? What do I need to start building so that I will have that in five years time? And that's why I started booksandtravel.page this year, because the creative pen, you know, I'm very experienced now in the publishing industry. And as much as I love talking to people about publishing, I need to talk about some other things. I want to talk about travel. So I'm like, I don't know if I will continue my creative pen podcast for another 10 years. I mean, I can't, I don't even, I can't even think that far, but I know that if I build another site around a passion that I know is the basis of my life, which is traveling and reading, um, that will be a good idea. So always be thinking about these different timeframes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, I'm absorbing. I'm like a little sponge right now. And, you know, I, I, I'm taking notes and half, halfway through, I was like, why am I taking notes? This is all recorded. Uh, <laughs> it's always good to take notes. <laughs> yes, it's so, it's so exciting for me. And to be honest, I think it's going to be so exciting for people who are listening to this on the train, on their long commute to work. And, you know, I, I have to ask because you threw out the number 30 books. And as you know, I'm working on one of my own. It's going to be my first one. I'm so baby. Uh, (laughs) It's the most important book is the first book because most people start Mm -hmm. a book and never finish it. So if you can finish that book and get that into the world and you get the bug, you'll have 30 books before you know it. (laughs) I will. Count on me because I I think just by hearing the number 30 and looking at my own behavior of kind of dwelling, I, I really was dwelling on the chapters, the book title, and why this has one, this has to really hit the ground running and why am I not working on the other ones? Like, you know what? This doesn't have to be the one and only. I can write other books too. So Yes. And that, that actually is going to free you up so much. I know way too many people who are almost so in love with that first book that they are so attached to it, so emotionally involved with it and putting so much pressure on themselves, especially when you have an audience like you do. Um, if you don't have an audience and no one knows who you are, it's actually much easier to put a book out. But once you have an audience, it's like, oh, well, this has to be amazing. It has to launch it. It has to hit the bestseller 
seller list and all this stuff, but it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much better. I, I think of the creative um, process as a bit like a pipe. Mm-hmm. And what you've got with that first book is your pipe is blocked up with this first book and you have to get that first book out. But as soon as you've moved that first book into the world, you're going to have all this other stuff that just arrives and you'll be like, oh, I could write a book on that now. I could I could do that. And the, the act of putting that book in the world will free you to write more. And the truth is publishing, I mean, you know, is, is easy now. The difficult thing is writing and marketing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, but those are also the rewarding parts as well. So yeah, you have to get your book in the world. So uh, are you committing to a, a date at all? <laughs> I love it. I was already... <laughs> Hey, it's Faye. I'm back here. Today on the show, we chat with the incredible Joanna Penn, who started her podcast before it was called a podcast, but audio downloads. Today, she runs a multi-six-figure business without the need for much consulting or hustle on the side to get it done. And she's living a life with location and financial freedom. Can't wait to hear your feedback. And now, back to the show. Yes, I, I would like to get the draft. And that's my next question for your writing mm. process, because I have Scrivener and I read your article on Scrivener. I know that you are recommending this wonderful course on how to optimize this. So uh, I set it up and I have my word count, roughly like 60,000 words, and then broken it down to end of October. And I already feel behind, but I'm going to play some catch up. Uh but that's kind of, I want to get the first draft out by end of October. And I'm, to be honest, I'm like scratching my head a little bit. It's like, okay, what, what's next? I work with an editor and how mm. long does that take? So what are your thoughts? Uh, okay. So to me, the first draft is something that you could print out and it reads end to end as in it is complete, as in there's nothing that says insert chapter here or insert quote <laughs> or whatever. Um, so that to me is a first draft. It has to be, uh, you know, complete end to end. And you're right. That is a very important milestone. And uh, that's definitely the thing to aim for. After that's done. So my own process is, yes, I write in Scrivener, which is fantastic. And then I do actually print it out. So I print it out hard copy and I then um, usually put it in a little folder on my desk and leave it for at least a week. Um, probably more would be good with your first book. Um, and then I will do self editing so this is the is a hugely important part of the process and how long it takes will depend on what happens basically because basically you are reading that through end to end as if you are your target market mm-hmm. and your i scribble over it i don't know how people do it on a computer but basically i scribble all over it i'm moving things around um you know if it's non fiction i might think oh i need a quote here or i need another chapter or i need to explain this or that's repetitive or maybe i need to rejig the whole order of things um mm-hmm. with a novel it's you know I, I need to flesh out this character or I need to do this bit but it's very much a structural edit 
it's not necessarily detailed line editing. Um, so once I've done that, I will go back to Scrivener and I'll type up uh, everything I've done so that Scrivener is the master and that is now where I am. Now, depending on how major that edit was, I may well then print it out again and repeat that process. Mm-hmm. And certainly again, with your first book, that might be a good idea. So, and then if you feel like you really, really are struggling, then yes, engaging a structural editor or a content editor can really help. That's Mm -hmm. someone who will give you a report on your book. They'll read the book, they'll give you a 12 to 15 page report, but it will not be line edits. Um, Mm -hmm. So only move into line edits, which are this kind of classic red pen, when you have done everything you can to make that book the best it can be on your own. Mm -hmm. Because your your editor will obviously cost money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously if you're, if you want a traditional publisher, you can, um, submit to agents at that stage. Once you've got a, many people do it before they get an editor. Um, but nowadays to make it the best it can be, often people do get an editor. Um, and then, you know, if you're taking it forward to publication, you'll get the edits back, you'll update the manuscript again. And then I use a proofreader before publication. So that's someone to fix the final typos. But essentially the first draft is, you know, I say it's about um, like Michelangelo's David. Hopefully everyone can picture him in their heads. Um, You know, you're creating a David, um, but first you have to create the block of marble and your first draft is your block of marble. And then your editing process is the chiseling and hacking in parts and, um, and then polishing. So that process of taking the block of marble to a finished statue is, is your editing process. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think it sounds like it's something that people would get better at. And it, you know, a lot of people hear these steps and they're thinking in terms of years, not months, but you just announced that you have 30 books with one new one coming out. So I try to do the math in my head. Um, what was the, you know, did you get better and faster over time? And, and, or, I mean, these days as a very experienced writer, how long does it take? Well, depending on the length of the book or the mm. genre, at does it take for you to go from draft or first word cursor on the blank page to a <laughs> finished product? Yeah, well, as you say, it totally depends on uh, so many things. <laughs> right. But if, I, if I'm writing in an established series, um, so the last Arcane book I did, which was called Valley of Dry Bones, um, often I'll think about my fiction for quite a while. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do trips to do research, uh, that type of thing. So that, that is still part of the writing process, but that can often, um, you know, you think about that for a while, but then when I'm ready to sit down for a novel, um, or nonfiction really is I will, um, in my calendar, I will schedule time for it. So for example, I will block out and normally for me, it's sort of 7am till 9.30am when I go to yoga. So the two and a half hours there, um, I will go to a cafe and I will write. Um, and that's all I will do in that time. And then I might also go to a co-working space and I, I do dictation. So I'll hire a room and I'll dictate for a couple of hours. So I tend to get that first draft done in let's say a month to six weeks for for a a 60,000 word um, book. Uh, And then I'll rest it and then I'll do my edits. But the difference really is that, I mean, my first novel took around 16 months. Um, Mm -hmm. 
so what I would say is that once you know what you're doing, your first draft is much cleaner. So Mm -hmm. when I finish that novel, I know that it doesn't need a lot of work um, because I know what I'm doing. And that's why it's so, it's kind of annoying in a way, but it's true with everything. It's true with podcasting, right? We know what we're doing, but we didn't at first. Same with novels or books in general, nonfiction, whatever. The first time you do anything, there's a learning curve and it will be the most expensive (laughs) in terms of editing as well. So you have to, this is why I think if you can get through that, process of the first book and you enjoy it enough to try again, you will reap the benefits of what you've learned. And if you do self-publish, um, then again, it's another process that you learn and you just repeat that process next time. So yeah, I mean, and there's lots of tools that can help you. And of course, um, on my site, there's lots of stuff for free if people want to check that out. Um, but yeah, that, that hopefully that helps. Yeah, absolutely. And then you mentioned dictation. I was like, oh, I got to really ask a question. What is the tool that you love using and how do you train yourself to speak clearly, which, which clearly you do? Um, so what is that dictation process like? Uh, well, it, I used to use Dragon uh, software, which oh, yeah. uh, has been the market leader for years. But now, um, you know, uh, speech to text is huge. So any device that you have will have a speech to text thing. Um, you know, and even just, you know, Google, Google docs or Mm -hmm. your phone, or if you're used to using Siri or Alexa or Google assistant, you, you are getting used to what dictation is. Um, if you're a speaker, then you'll, you could just perform your work and get it transcribed. So I used to use dragon and now I'm just using Trent. So I just, because I, you know, can't be, uh, I just might as well basically, because I don't, I don't dictate and watch the screen, which is what many people do with dragon. I might, I just dictate into an MP3 recorder and then I just upload the MP3. So it's a very fast way of writing. I mean, you can tell you know, I speak quite fast. Um, so you can just, you can get 5,000, 6,000 words done in an hour, whereas you could probably only type 1,000. So it's a very good way to get a first draft down, uh, particularly if you, the best way there is to write some bullet points first. So know what you're going to say before you say it. That's the number one rule <laughs> with dictation. But again, I've got lots of um, stuff on that on the website. Uh, so if, if people are interested there, but it, it, if you can get used to it, it can be a way to really speed yourself up. For sure. I can't wait to read that article and uh, the bullet point approach really helps. And um, do you find yourself having a lot to say about each chapter? Is it because you sort of, how do you prepare yourself for that state? I think it's kind of a, a state, a kind of flow state that you're in, in order to, you know, have the content be so high quality, the transcription works right away. Like what is that thinking process for you? Uh, I, I, I would say, no, it doesn't have to be a certain state. I would say that, um, you know, you and I approaching this meeting, I mean, it's the evening, it's the early evening for me, you know, I'm quite tired, but I'm bringing my energy to you because I've booked this slot and we're having a conversation. So I'm bringing it. And it's the same for me with writing. I have a writing meet, you know, meeting in my calendar and I turn up and I bring it even if I don't feel like it. So I think out of the last 10 years, my flow states have been 
tiny, minimal, barely existent. I don't, I kind of don't really know what that is. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You, as you know, I woke up with a sore throat. I'm like, no, I yes. am not rescheduling this. Yeah, I'm good to go. Yeah, you're bringing it. And I think this has to be the attitude. This, I love writing. You can tell. I love what I do, but this is still my job. And I don't have external contracts. I am motivated by my own creativity. So I set a meeting with myself and I go do it. So there's no no excuses, people. No, oh, I just wasn't in the mood today. You know, it's like, no, you've made that, like if you make that meeting with yourself and you're going to write or you're going to dictate, then just do it. And as soon as you start, it's a bit like going for a run or going to the gym sometimes or going to work, like, you know, in your day job, you might not want to go, but once you go, you're going to get stuff done. So that would be my attitude in general to writing books or or any of this is, Mm put it in your diary. This is the secret. This is the, this is my ultimate secret is you schedule your time and then you turn up for that appointment (laughs) and you do the work. (laughs) I know. And that's how I finally made the gym work for me because I had so many excuses to make money and not go to the gym. And my body was giving me all the signals of this is not who you are. You're not functioning uh, at your best. So literally I have two hours blocked to go to the gym has transformed my life since two years ago when I started doing that. Agree completely. Mm. Um, I I will try to make this my last question. I'm going to have to see and and if there's anything else we want to talk about because this is so good. I want to send this to my producer and submit it to Trent for a transcription like right away this afternoon. (laughs) See how it is. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, it's going to be fantastic. So I, I you know, we heard that 800,000, uh, you know, visitors or unique visitors is a whole lot. And I wonder how, you know, you have great content on the website, high quality, deep linking. Do you do, is it all, has it always been organic or what is your approach in general when it comes to marketing your content, your website, your affiliate programs and products to the right people? Well, look, to be honest, it has just been consistency Mm -hmm. and, you know, high, high quality for years. And I did it all myself for the first five years. And then I started working with virtual assistants. And now I have a podcast producer. Um, I have designers, I have editors, I have a whole team now. But at the beginning, I did it all myself. And so I would, for example, write really big show notes for those early podcast episodes. For um, now, I run everything on Google Docs. And as I said, I plan my content out quite far in advance and I might batch my content creation or interviews, that type of thing. My virtual assistant manages guest posts. So I do have guest posts now. Um, but a lot of the content on the creative pen has either been, are either chapters of my books or I turn the chapters into books. So repurposing content is another thing, but uh, it really just comes down to, I found my niche, which was writing books and then talking about writing and publishing and book marketing and and just everything I do is related to that naturally. And then adding content three to five times a week, which I know is a lot and it's not necessary to do that much, but I have so much to share. Um, But what I would, again, what I would say to people, consistency Mm. makes so much difference. And 
I know patience is annoying, <laughs> but I mean, those first few years, it was like howling into the wind. I mean, I never thought I would get anywhere, really. I was talking about self-publishing at a time when it was, it was really frowned upon. You were considered to be an outcast if you self-published back in 2008 when I was doing it. And then things changed. Mm. So then that was just about being true to myself and about my you know, what, what I wanted to do and being independent. And now of course, independence, you wonderful millennials have made independent creative <laughs> a trendy thing. I mean, yeah. it's brilliant. So yeah. I was a bit early, but I think the main thing is, yeah, just, yeah, I know it's tough, but be true to yourself and think long-term mm-hmm. think, okay, where could I be in 10 years time? If I take this action today, where will I end up in 10 years time? So mm-hmm. with your book, for example, yeah, to get that first draft, it's tough. But if you, the tip specifically for you right now, and for anyone listening, if you have a deadline, so let's say uh, October 31st or whatever, mm-hmm. is you go schedule in your calendar, all mm-hmm. the time that you need. So if you're going to write 1000 words per hour mm-hmm. and you need 60 sessions, then you schedule 60 sessions yes. in your diary. And that's how you achieve that goal. And if you struggle, you're like, okay, well, if I do that, where will that put me in 10 years? Will that take me closer to a goal that I want to achieve? Mm-hmm. And that's basically what I did with my website and with my writing. And 10 years on, here I am. Yes, <laughs> so, I... Who knows where I'll be in 2029? <laughs> yes, I can't. I mean, I'm definitely going to be part of that journey because I absolutely love your work. And, you know, the, the only that you'll be, I hope this will make you proud. The only other person who make me just keep on reading and be completely obsessed with content is Seth Godin. And oh, oh I'm thrilled about that because I love Seth. <laughs> oh, Seth is just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And uh, the, the only other woman I can think of is Krista Tibbet from On Oh, I love her too. <laughs> I, I think you're, you're right. We're just sisters from another mister or whatever they say. <laughs> unbelievable. I interviewed Krista like within the first year of my show. I was so gig, like inside, I was giggling out, out of control. I was so nervous and so grateful to have like hearing her voice. And I feel the same way about the, the way that you're working on your business. I feel like it's in a way very similar to what Seth and Krista um, are doing. So I absolutely love you for it. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I, I, well, I'm, it's so good to share with your audience. And um, we really are living in the best time, I, I think. I mean, I know sometimes things can seem quite dark in the political sense, but I, you know, there's another side to what's going on in the world. And it's super exciting and it's a brilliant community and there's so much opportunity. So yeah, very fantastic time to be a creator. What a great way to to end this. So Joanna, if people want to read more about you and buy your books or your, uh, your courses, what's the best way to kind of get in touch and learn more about you? Sure. Well, uh, listening to podcasts, you could check me out the creative pen podcast, pen with a double N or books and travel podcast is my other one. And, uh, the creative is where everything is. So come on over if you want to know more about writing or publishing or book marketing and, uh, any questions I'm at the creative pen with a double N on Twitter. Oh, lovely. Lovely. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. 
We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World Podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose DeLeon, transcript editor, Alina Ahmedova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening.